So, there, was, there wasn't false advertising. Trevor Hartley was meant to be here with us today, but um, he had an issue with his visa, and he got to 95% of, uh, of it coming through, and then he got a security check last minute. So, we, we kind of know what it's from. He left the country on a, on, a, on a residence visa, then came back and tried to come back in, and apparently there's a little bit of an issue sometimes with that. Uh, so... Stalin and I were sitting yesterday afternoon at about 2 o'clock. We, like, we confirmed that he's not coming, so Stalin and I sat together and we thought, what are we going to do? Um, should we just have extended worship, just go from 9 all the way through? But um, we actually thought it was a great opportunity to share some of our values of who we are as a community. And uh, I think we do, we do a lot of teaching. Obviously, everything is out of the Word. You'll see out today is out of the Word. But it's, for me, it's, it's really just saying an expression of our hearts of who we want to be as a church, who we are as a church, and who we also want to be in an increased way. So we've got it up here. It's what we value. And uh, can we put all five up, please? And then Stahl is going to share. We're we tag teaming. So I'm doing half. I'm doing th- three out of five, which is kind of half. And uh, then she's doing the last two, and then we're going to sing together. So we're a church that worships, we stand together, we win the world for Jesus. There's the Word of God, it's central, and we're a church that waits on God. All W's to make it easy and simple, um, let's go for it. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it molds us, changes us, and, uh, and makes us more like you. I pray, Lord God, that today that you would anoint Stella and I as we share your Word to, to your people, Father. Let it just come with ease and let it just touch our hearts in an incredible way. Amen. So Stahl and I went away for uh, two and a half, three days this week, uh, not to line our backs, but to just read, we read the word basically for three days. Stahl went through the book of Luke. I I caught up on about two weeks that I'm missing on my, um, if I'm being honest, I only got into about the fifth or sixth day, but I'm missing two weeks on my reading plan. So I'm playing a bit of catch up on that. And uh, it just was amazing just to spend time with God and just to spend time with Him and, and, and just for Him to open up His Word and just be nourished from His Word, which Stahl is going to talk a little bit about later. But I'm going to talk the few things. Number one, the thing we value is we value worship. Every, if you look around the world, every culture, whether you're Emirati, uh, you're from China, you are from America, South America, even native Indian, uh, you've, everyone has a, 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 a singing language that they communicate with. And it's, some of them are singing to foreign gods, some of them are believers in Jesus, so they sing to Jesus. Some of them just sing songs about uh, the community. If you look at, uh, who's American here? Danae, the happy Thanksgiving for yesterday or was it today? Happy Thanksgiving for yesterday. Amazing thing how the whole country just gives, th- gives thanks. Whether it's to God, they're just giving thanks for what they have. And uh, if you look at a lot of Americans, they sing songs about New York. And it's, I've always thought about that. How can you, I mean, I try to sing a song about South Africa, like Johannesburg or, or Durban or Pretoria. It just doesn't flow off the tongue, but like New York uh, or, or L.A., like they sing a lot of songs about L.A. or, or, or even Orange County. And it's like, it's amazing how they sing songs because they're proud of their land. And I, I feel like there's something that happens when we're in um, a community carries a voice and a community carries a song. And for us, I believe God has given us a song. And we're going to start seeing more songs come out of City Lights. We're going to start singing, singing more tunes that are going to exalt the King. And it's going to have our flavor and it's going to be different. And it's going to be something that God is uniquely doing in and through us. 
Now, worship, as we know, is not just about um, music, but it's, it's about our lives living as a sacrifice before the Father. And uh, A.W. Tozer says this, which may or may not come up behind me. It's going to be up behind me. That's awesome. We pursue God because and only because He has first put an urge within us that spurs us to pursuit. That is, that is the unconditional grace of God that He... We can only ever know God because God has put a desire in us to know Him. We cannot conjure this thing up ourselves. God Himself comes by His Spirit and He starts to tweak stuff in our hearts. It's not like we, in our own human nature, sinful nature, are going to head one way and eventually we're going to bump into God. Actually, God is the one that pursues us out and calls us out and calls us to sing to Him and calls us to worship Him. The problem with most of the world is that they end up worshiping created things instead of the Creator. And when that starts to happen, everything gets flipped on its head. And I want to, we are a community that worships Jesus, Him only. We, every, every meeting, I want to end with just the exaltation of the living King, that He is alive, that He is seated on the throne, that no matter what you're walking through, no matter, no matter the tough moments you're going through, we worship Jesus in all moments because He is worthy, and He is exalted, and He defeated death. He defeated sickness. He defeated and God raised them up. There's the resurrection of the dead. He defeated death once and for all. Psalm 63 says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Middle of the desert, middle of summer. I said in the first meeting, we can forget as the weather starts to get better. And let's be honest, winter is lagging. Okay, we, we really needed to... I mean, in the evening it gets a little bit cool, but it's still pretty hot, like 33 in the day. But that's winter for us. But lest us forget, then in uh, seven, mate, seven to eight months' time, six to eight months, it's going to be hot again. Imagine that feeling of being stuck in the desert, no water, in a dry, parched land. And it's such a picture for me how we need to be, respond to God, that we, we have nothing without Him. And so often we are so satisfied with the ways of this world. We're so satisfied with Netflix, which can I tell you is far lower than worshiping Jesus in satisfaction. As nice as it is to watch Netflix and chill and do that whole thing, it's not about that. We have to, I want us today to just set our sights on, on the living King, set our heart on something much greater than ourselves. I've seen you in your sanctuary and you beheld your power and glory. And so often in my life, I can have an incredible moment with God. We had a scarlet conference where I encountered God in a, in a profound way. Then this week, I forgot how profound that was. And then I'm like, God, you're so dry. Where are you? And we have to remind ourselves that this, it's, it's not this high that we have all the time. It's, it's moments that we, that we meet with the living King. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. It's biblical to raise our hands. Everyone do this. Now raise your other hand. There you're worshiping. Well done. Okay. For me, that's a place of surrender. It's, uh, it's, it's saying, God, you, you are, are everything to me. This, this place of just bowing down to Him and worshiping Him. A.W. Tozer, another quote from him. It says, I want to deliberately encourage, here it is behind me, yay, the mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought to us a present low state. And I, what I realized is this, 
is that when I feel like the church is getting a little bit dry, what, what, what does Stahl and I intentionally do? What should we intentionally do? If you're feeling a little bit dry, go fast. Go fast food. Drink water for two days. You'll soon get hungry and you'll st- soon start to realize that you need Jesus more than anything. And it ignites something inside of you. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe for all spiritual growth. Can I, can I be honest that I am, and Bruce and I may have a competition to who's the biggest procrastinator. Um, but uh, it's, it's, you, there's always something else to do. There's always something to be involved in. There's always this, there's always that. And actually, that can, that can lead to a place where we don't actually engage the living Father. And it says this lack, um, complacency is a deadly foe. Acute desire must, must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. I love that. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so long in vain. God is waiting. He says, draw draw close to me as I draw close to you. Jesus is already drawing close to you. Our only response to him is say, cool, I'm going to actually, I'm going to just draw close to you. And I can tell you that we even sung it today, that through every doubt and every fear, and if I had to look back on 2017, I've had doubts and I've had fears. I lay before him now and I start to worship him. It's the thing that overcomes everything else. Even if you don't feel it in the moment, something supernatural and spiritual happens as you begin to exalt Jesus above your problems, as you begin to exalt him above everything else that you're walking through. The word uh, worship, which we'll see over 50 times in the New Testament, is the word proskuneo. And it's, it's the word that means to bow down, to kiss, to get to the feet of someone who is greater than ourselves. And if, when it says that we need to live our, this, when we're laying our lives down as living sacrifices, this is our spiritual act of worship. It's a spiritual act of proskuneo. It's a spiritual act of bowing our lives down before him. And I want to encourage you to, to have moments where you are on your knees before Jesus, where he becomes absolutely everything for you. And I have it sometimes in church where God says, I want you to worship me on your face. I'm like, okay. And often I'm just like, okay, cool, I'll get there. And then I get half down and then I get onto this part of my knees. And then like God says, no, lower, lower, lower. And I, eventually I'm on the ground. But something happens as we begin to just exalt him higher and lift him higher above everything in our lives. So praise does a few things. We enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. So we enter into his presence. Uh, 2 Chronicles 5, there's an amazing scripture about these priests. They, they, they're about to do, they're, they're doing the work of God and they sing and they shout with loud trumpets and there's an exaltation of the living king. And then the presence of God just floods into the room. And it says that there was like this, this cloud that entered into the room and they were unable to do the duties before God because his presence was so tangible. And can I say, God has not changed from there. If anything, we enter God, we have unveiled faces. There's the breaking of the curtain that's been torn in two. We can enter boldly into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done. We are living in a space where prophets of old would prophesy about it. So there's going to be a time where we can worship Jesus freely, where we can enter into his presence. We don't have to do a whole bunch of religious rituals because it's all done through, for, for us through Jesus Christ. We live in that time. That Jesus has made a way for us to enter into the holy of holies. Praise and worship brings breakthrough. There's a moment with Paul and Silas. They're in prison. They're thrown in prison for delivering someone of a demon. This demon used to uh, manifest in this girl and make the, this person lots of money. 
and they were in prison, and it says at about midnight, they started to sing and praise God. And it says, suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. We cannot negate the power of worship. So we worship with our lives, but we worship on a Friday here in church, and we honor Him. And there's something that starts to happen is that the chains of others begin to fall off. The chains of our lives begin to fall off, first of all. And, uh, and I've, I thought I was pretty much far on my journey in God, and I don't have any chains bounding me. And I've realized God's just showing me, actually, Dan, the deeper you get into Him, the more He's going to start cutting off of my life. There's stuff that's holding me back from entering into greater things. And where were we? The final thing that worship does is that it establishes. It says this in um, Psalm 22, verse 3. It says, Yet I know you are most holy. It's indisputable. You are God enthroned, surrounded with songs, living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. That's why we have moments where it's biblical for us to shout out and scream out and, and lift up the name of Jesus because the Bible says that he lives in that place. He lives on the princely praises of his people. That's incredible. God enthrones himself on our praises. The second thing is that we stand together. There was that song. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. You guys know that. Paul McCartney, come on. We all stand together. Boom, boom. Okay. We'll cut that out of the recording. Is that cool? Okay, we do this together. We are, we are a people that are in community together. We're not alone. We, we, we build together. We move forward together. I, I try to find a video, but imagine someone playing football or rugby or soccer or whatever it is, and you've got one person playing every position. That person will never win. We are all called to do this and be involved in life together. Acts 2.42 to 47, which we won't have time to read. But it just speaks about that we are devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, uh, to fellowship. And it says when they're doing all those things, that, that miraculous signs and wonders begin to break out amongst the, the disciples. And I think when we understand that we are all in community together, we, are do, we, are, we are, have our eyes focused on Jesus. I was reading through Corinthians and uh, a lot of Corinthians, especially 1 Corinthians, is dealing with uh, disputes amongst the believers. Now, one of the things was that the, one, the believers were saying, well, we, we're a follower of Apollos, which was an apostle of the day. And the other one said, we're a follower of Paul, we're a follower of this. And Paul gets there and says, listen, it does not matter who your focus is, who your, who your super apostle is. Or who you've, it says, your focus should be Jesus Christ. And, it's, and I think when we begin to realize the, 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 sing, the singularity of focus that we have, there's a lot of the disunity that sometimes happens in churches, and often, I'll say it not sometimes, happens in churches, is because our eyes have, become, have gone off Jesus and onto other things. And I think we need to learn to have maturity, to get over stuff quickly. If someone offends you, if someone calls you out on something, whether it's right or wrong, learn how to deal with that quickly. Be committed in your heart to, to have unity in your heart. You are only, you, you're responsible for your own offense. No one else. They, 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 you can't blame it on someone else. Oh, they did this, they did that. There's been stuff that has been said to Stala and I over the years of being in ministry. And those of you who want to lead someday, just, you're going you're to be fired and hammered first before anyone else. 
You have to just, I've had to learn, and it's against my personality because I think I naturally lean towards wanting to please people. I'm like, I'm pastoral. I just, people want to be happy. And God had to deal with stuff and is continuing to deal with stuff in my heart. But that is, I please Jesus first. And we need to learn to live in a place where we have each other's backs. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't talk about other people unless it's good things. Can, I, can we have an amen? It's good to have amens. And, uh, and can you be the awkward one? If someone starts to talk about someone else, say, can we rather not do that? You may look pious, and you may look, but you're actually just calling out something that's actually very right. That we actually, we need to learn to build each other up. And if we've got issues with someone, the Bible says we've got to deal with them directly, not behind their back. We all stand together. Amen. Hebrews 10, 24, it says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to, to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And it says we need, to, we need to learn how to spark and stir things in one another. We're not just meet for the sake of it. We want to stir Christ in us. We want to see Christ exalted. We want to see Christ exalted in this community and move forward in this land through us. And uh, what is my last one? Oh, win the world for Jesus. And I will take two minutes on this, although I shouldn't. This could be a whole preach in itself. It says here in Philippians 2 verse 14, it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I said in the first meeting that grumbling and arguing shouldn't be on the lips of believers. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Matthew 5.14 says, you are the light of the world. And our scope is not only Dubai, but the nations of the world. Jesus says that when you're filled with your, the presence of God, you're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, which is Dubai, Samaria, which is the UAE, uh, Dubai, Samaria, Judea, which would be the Middle East, and then you have the ends of the earth. We are called to be witnesses not only here, but in, in, to Sri Lanka, to Nepal, to, to the, the emirate down the road, to a person who, who we work alongside. We have the nations in City Lights. And my, my greatest longing is that we are become more and more multicultural and diverse in who we are. That uh, I'm South African, we've attracted South Africans, and that's great. We love every nationality. We love South Africans. But we are here to love every single person who walks through that door of every nationality. The Sri Lankans are growing. Thank you, Jesus. I always celebrate, and I think I maybe scare the Americans away when they come and visit our church. I'm like, yeah, another American. Let's, and then I, inter, I introduce the Americans to each other like they would know each other because they're both American. Um, and uh, even though it's incredibly huge as, as a country. But really, like we have the nation's in, in this city that we're called to reach. And we need to, we need to our language needs to change. We can't be like uh, exclusive in our language as we talk to one another and we talk about the familiar stuff from back home that begins to exclude people out of our circle. We cannot be like that. The people matter too much to Jesus for us to be held, to be like so stuck in our ways and so stuck. And God loves our cultures individually, he does. But we have a kingdom culture which supersedes every other culture, and that is the, 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 the culture of Jesus Christ. All accepting. So cool. Stala, your turn. You've got plenty of time. <laughs> I won't be long. 
So the word of God is central. It's obviously one of the values. It's one of the things that is um, so key, so important. We're not going to stray from that. And Sunday morning started with, with the Holy Spirit saying to me, I want you to read the word for three days, solid. And I think, you know, obviously we need to be reading the word. It's like, Starla, aren't you reading the word already? But the reality is, is I've never read only the word. I have got my candle full of other books. I will listen to other things. I will read the news, you know, all the kinds of things. But God wanted me to just focus on three days of reading the word. And that was, he obviously knew the week that we were going to have and, and the weekend, and, and it's good for us to be filled. Matthew 4, 4 says, It is written, and forever remains written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The Bible also describes God's truth as milk, water, meat. Those are all things that feed your body, that nourish your body. Without that, you will die. And so that is why we cannot just live on the physical food. Our spiritual lives will die without being fed. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word of God, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. And yesterday was not a favorable time for us to be told that we were going to preach the next day, if I had to ask you, be prepared to preach a 35-minute word tomorrow, what would come out? And of course, there would be thoughts. Maybe you would have five, 10 minutes. I'm not one to waffle. I don't know how to do that. I carefully select my words. I think about what I'm going to say. I'm not able to just you know, talk. I don't have that gift. But I had to spend some time, and if it wasn't for putting the word inside of me, I wouldn't have been ready for this opportunity. I was weak and depleted after Scarlet, and that often happens when you've been pouring yourself out emotionally and physically, and so it is important for us to satisfy and strengthen ourselves. John 6, verse 63, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So how much of the word of God do we feed on? Jeremiah 15, verse 16, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. Now, devour means to eat hungrily and quickly. On Wednesday night, I put something in the oven, which I bought from the store, and Dan said, how was it? He was coming back from worship practice. I said, it's, it's not great. It's nothing like you would make, but and he's like, I don't care. I'm just so hungry. I'm just going to devour it. And when you are so hungry, you will devour that thing. But oftentimes we fill ourselves up. You know, if he says to me, oh, you hardly ate your dinner. I'm like, it's because I have been eating what's in the cupboard. I've been eating these little chocolate balls that everyone brought me up from Scarlet Conference. For those who came from South Africa, they're called chuckles. These chocolate malt balls, which I'm like, I just cannot control myself. And then I, I fill up on that and I don't eat the proper nutritious food that sustains us. So we can feed ourselves on other things, you know, on the next shiny book, on the next podcast, on 10 steps to growing the church, on, um, you know, living a blessed life, how to triple the size of your church in one month. All of these things that leave us kind of chasing these things, you know, and uh, wanting for more and maybe even making us feel like we'll never get there. But there's something about reading the word of God that, that lives in us, that feeds us and that fills us. In fact, it makes you, it opens up your appetite for more. You know, how much of our 
picture of the church is social media driven and not scripture driven. And that's something that really is starting to see as a a very unhealthy thing that's crept into the modern day church, is people are basing church based on what they see on Instagram and not based on what they're seeing in scripture through acts, through the life of Jesus as they're reading the word of God. There are many gifted and talented communicators and, and leaders within the church, broader church. There are amazing people that we look up to. You know, there are bigger budgets that people have had. There's creativity and talents and giftings that we can all be enamored with. But, but the reality is, is that are those giftings building a mini kingdom within God's kingdom, a little empire where you all serve uh, the leader and their gifting? Um, or is it the gifts that God has given us within the church, we are starting to go through these four walls and into our workplaces and that everyone is being used of God and everyone is able to be in the kingdom because the kingdom is not about eating or drinking, but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy. And when we're working to build other men's kingdoms, that can lead us to striving and depression and anxiety. So we need to make sure that we've got righteousness, peace, and joy within us. You know, we can build a church. We can build a church. This is the scary thing. We can build a church based on the many resources, the many books that are coming out from the various churches. We can build a church on that, on different people's voices. But we need to build a church from what we read in Scripture. And so the Word of God is our pattern, and that is our central. We will never stray from that. And in a way, I'm grateful that we leave a ch- lead a church in the Middle East. I mean, of course, I'm grateful for that. It's such a privilege. And through all the many challenges and obstacles, Jen and I often think, oh, no one will ever stand, understand what it's like to lead a church in the Middle East. You've got people, we'd love them to serve, but then they're in business for three weeks, and then they go away on holiday. And, then, and, and you just, all you're just wanting is people to just be settled and just be, you know, a commitment and just have some rhythm in your everyday week. But the incredible thing about having church in the Middle East while I was preparing the sermon, I received a, a call from one of the church leaders and said, Starla, how did you get all your licenses for the Address Hotel to have a Scarlet Conference? I said, you don't want to know. Speak to Jenny. <laughs> it was about six months of just back and forth, back and forth. As they've lost venues, as churches are being shifted, it's forcing us to not have this perfect style church where everything is polished and shiny. You know, we just want a roof over our head. And so that is why it's important for us to make the main thing the main thing, which is worship, which is community, which is the Word of God. And those are the things that we'll never stray from, no matter where we go. I was so inspired by Henry and Alex Seeley and how they're building the church, how they're following the Holy Spirit and leading uh, the belonging. And one of the things he's, I said to him, wow, you've got a Grammy. That's incredible. Congratulations. How did that go about? And he's like, well, the Grammy sits on my shelf. He says, I'm not trying to be funny. That's great. But I won that Grammy when I was not even in that frame of mind. I wasn't even trying to win the Grammy. My family is coming first. I was, I was planning a church. We were so focused on the presence of God, on building this church. Someone asked me to, to do an album, so I mixed the album for them, and that's the, the album that won the Grammy. And he says, but what's incredible is that in Nashville, where their church is based, 
it's known for musicians, right? So he said, for them, it's important that he's got a Grammy, not for him. And so if God wants to give him a Grammy for God's glory to bring in people to the church, then so be it. And I think we need to remember as a church that we don't chase after these things. We chase after God and his presence. And whatever he elevates, whatever he promotes, he chooses to do. Whatever he breathes on, he chooses to do. But I know that he will breathe on humility. He will breathe on the word of God inside of us. He will breathe on our worship, our hearts, our offerings. That is what God will come and breathe and multiply on. I've been so challenged in these three days as I read through Luke from from cover to cover and just spending time. There are 24 parables in Luke. It's the most amount of parables. And just just watching Jesus and, and hearing what he said and how he interacted with everyone, so much grace, so much truth. His grace for people challenges me. It changes me. And then I think, God, but look at the grace that you've poured out on my life. Look at the grace that you daily pour out on my life. The truth, the love. He is beautiful. He is attractive. We need to make sure that we're making Jesus attractive in our meetings and not just church and patterns and programs. You know, that people don't think, oh, wow, amazing speaker. Wow, this. It's not about that. It's let's return to the wonder of Jesus and what he did in our meetings. And that is the heart of the church, that when we go away, we say, wow, you know, in the 9 a.m. service, there were healings that took place. Wow. You know, in the 11 a.m. service, there's still time to worship. God spoke to me. He set me free. He set me free through the word. We need to make room for God. And I find that often the church culture can be so selfish and so self-focused, all about self-motivation. You know, how do I become more excellent? How do we perfect our program? How do we live a blessed life now? You know, Jesus kept saying the opposite. He was so selfless. And I remember after spending time now of the three days immersed in Scripture, and as I was washing dishes and listening to a podcast that I subscribed to, it was a leadership podcast, but there was no mention of Jesus. There was no mention of Scripture. He's a pastor. Now, I think that it's great to listen to leadership development stuff But don't let that replace your time with God. That cannot be your diet. That is a treat. That is to develop yourself. But your diet needs to be the word of God. So challenged in Luke 6 verse 27 in the Passion Translation. Now really, if you struggle to read the word, if you want the word to come alive to you in modern day language, filled with the Holy Spirit in the presence of God, get a hold of the Passion Translation. It's Greek, it's the Aramaic, it's a study Bible, it comes alive, it changes your life. But if you will listen, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and do something wonderful them in return for their hatred. When someone curses you, bless that person in return. When you are mistreated and harassed by others, accept it as your mission to pray for them. To those who despise you, continue to serve them and minister to them. If someone takes away your coat, give him as a gift, as a gift, your shirt as well. And I find that challenging and almost unreasonable that Jesus would expect that of me. That he would expect me, my coat to be given to somebody and it's not returned to me. Then he wants me to give more away to that person, bless them, pray for them and honor them. I find that challenging because they're just a side of me, but that is wrong. That is unjust. 
But if you think about um, Jesus, everything he preached was tested and put into practice. And we saw his response and things. And there was nothing more unjust than Judas betraying an innocent man with a kiss. There was nothing more unjust than him coming towards uh, Pilate when the crowds and the masses were shouting, free Barabbas, free the one, the murderer, to let Jesus be killed, to be Jesus persecuted on the cross. And he was innocent. But yet Jesus never defended himself. The scriptures are challenging. It changes us. It changes our nature. It changes our minds, our thoughts, our hearts. To Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And someone asked Rick Warren, what is the best translation of the Bible? Is it NIV, New King James, ESV, Amplified? And he said, the translation that changes your life, if it translates into your life, are you reading the word and allowing it to transform you, not just inform you? Are you allowing the word of God not to just grow your head knowledge, but grow your heart knowledge, expand who you are? In other words, God wants our beliefs turned into our behavior. And the Bible describes itself as a hammer, a sword, and a scalpel, all those things of a radical changing of our hearts. Imagine if next week we could, or this week, we could commit to a day of where we would pick up other reading material. We would read scripture, we would read Jesus, we'd read the gospels. And we'd come on Friday and we'd be so full of the word and full of life. Jesus' word was in the beginning and it says heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will always remain. That's how much he values his word, that even his word will never be destroyed. And our last point is that God, we, are, we wait on God. And if the worship team could come up, we could, we could sing a song in closing. Have you ever put your phone in towards in the wall and it's dead flat and now you have to charge it? And it's like you're waiting for this phone to come on, and it's just, it's not coming on. It's just the most frustrating thing. I, I'm like, it's, it's, it's like, somebody might call me in this time. Like, Dan, my phone's broken. It's not working. Just let it charge. And oftentimes, you know, when we wait on God, we can, we can translate that and carry that into our, our worship times and into our church times, into our, our moments with God. I'm waiting for you to speak right now. But actually, the word wait is actually interchangeable with trust. And so when we're waiting on God, it's actually saying we're a church that trusts God, that truly expects Him to move. We're not about passive waiting. Isaiah 40 says, But those who wait for the Lord, who expect, look for, and hope in Him, will gain new strength and renew their power. They will lift up their wings and rise up close to God, like eagles rising towards the sun. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not grow tired. How did they have this strength? How did they have this energy? It was for waiting from God, waiting on Him, trusting on Him to move, expecting God to move. Psalm 33, we wait expectantly for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. 
So as a church, we want to create space for God to move in our lives. We want to create time, not just come in and there's so much happening in the church that you leave. Like I'm just, there's so much in my mind. No, we're actually going to make space for God. Yesterday I spent about an hour just reading all the words that God has said over my life over the last five years that I've recorded through dreams, through whatever, by the Spirit of God, just write written things. It's so healthy, so healthy to live in those promises and to see, wow, God, this is what you've done. This is what you said you would do. And you are so faithful that there's still things that are yet to be done. And I can't wait to see those things unfold. So let's let's stand and let's wait on God together as we sing the song and as we worship. And if there's things that we need to adjust in our lives, uh, where we've neglected the word, where we've neglected worship, where we've just neglected God to fully occupy our hearts, let's be a community that is sold out on Jesus.